From Data Rails, this is FPNA Today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FPNA Today. I'm your host, Paul Barnhurst, aka the FPNA Guy, and you are listening to FPNA Today. FPNA Today is brought to you by DataRails, financial planning and analysis platform for Excel users. Every week, we welcome a leader from the world of financial planning and analysis and discuss some of the biggest stories and challenges in the world of FPNA. We will provide you with actionable advice about financial planning and analysis. This is going to be your go-to resource for everything FPNA. Before I bring our guest on, a couple reminders. You can earn CPE credit for your CPA or other uh, accreditations through Earmark. You can go to the app, download the episode when it's available, answer the questions, and receive that credit for your continuing education. And second, if you've been enjoying FTNA today, we ask that you leave a review on your podcast platform of choice, Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this episode. We really appreciate that. So with that being said, I'm thrilled to welcome today's guest on the show. I have Joseph Clayton with me today from 68 Ventures. Joseph, welcome to the show. Hey, Paul. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, really excited to have you. So just let me give just a brief background, and then I'll let Joseph tell a little bit more about himself. So Joseph is currently located in Alabama. He works for 68 Ventures as a business analyst. He did his undergrad from Spring Hill, and he earned his MBA from the University of South Alabama. So Joseph, could you give us a little bit more about your background? Maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up where you're at. Yeah, definitely. Um, it is quite an interesting and kind of unplanned way until how I found myself in kind of the financial planning and analysis world. So, you know, like I said, I went to undergrad at Spring Hill College after growing up in Dallas, Texas, but moved to the Southern Alabama area for college where I attempted to play college basketball, actually. And Starting off when I went to school, I was planning on going to law school. So I actually studied philosophy during my undergraduate career with the, the sole intentions of going to law school right after graduation. But it was actually sometime during my junior year, I quickly realized that I did not want to go to law school. And it probably had to do with every time I talked to an attorney, they warned me to not go. So, so what, yeah, once the confusion came in there, I was kind of like, okay, well, where do I want my career to go? What kind of field do I want to get involved in? And it was definitely kind of during my summer breaks where I was able to, you know, work in a few customer retail facing roles. And it was really there that kind of, you know, sparked my interest in business and especially having conversations with these entrepreneurial minded, you know, business owners that I worked for. It was real, real interesting to me. So you know, I immediately began taking business classes throughout the remainder of my undergraduate career. And right after graduation, I enrolled in uh, an MBA program at the local university in the, at, in the Southern Alabama area. And it was really there kind of going through the different business cases and seeing how important, you know, finance and, um, you know, financial data is in the decision-making process of a business, which really kind of, you know, inspired me and wanted me to, you know, continue on in that industry. So now I found myself in the, as the business analyst here at 68 Ventures. And just real quick, you know, we're a, you know, a holding company for numerous operating and development companies in the Southern Alabama area. And you know, I get to play a part in you know, our story and our mission of transforming the Gulf Coast. And you know, I'm, I'm lucky to work with some great people and partner with 
you know, various business unit leaders across a diverse set of industries. Great. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate you giving a little introduction about the company. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And I can definitely see how background, you know, philosophy, a different way of thinking, and then MBA can help you in your, you know, your day to day. But I'm curious, you mentioned you started out wanting to play basketball in college. And do you have a position you like to play? What's your yeah, so, team you like? So I definitely used to be really good at basketball. Um, <laughs> now it's a different story where, you know, injuries and just lack of practicing over the years. But now I played basketball my entire life ever since, you know, the age of three with hopes of going on to play um, at the collegiate level. So I was, you know, very fortunate to go to a small liberal arts college here in the Mobile, Alabama area, continue on my, you know, playing career. It was short-lasted just due to injuries and wanting to focus on, you know, other objectives in school. But uh, it was great. I played shooting guard and, again, used, used to be pretty good, but I don't brag anymore. I haven't, I haven't played in a year or so. Yeah, injur- injuries and age will uh, bo- both have take their toll. So I'll ask one more fun question because I'm a big basketball fan and then we'll get back to the interview. But do you have a favorite team? as far as college, MBA, I mean, obviously other than where you went to school. Yeah, definitely. I've kind of lived all over, but I mostly grew up in Dallas and finished up high school there. So I'm a huge Dallas Mavericks fan. And I love, I love watching basketball. It's my favorite sport to watch. I love NBA. I love college. But my, my kind of my favorite NBA team is the Dallas Mavericks. And I'll never forget when we won the championship in 2011. That was probably one of the, the highlights of my time. So what, who's, uh, what's your deal. favorite team? I'm from Utah, so I'm a yeah. jazz fan. So I miss, I, uh, you know, I won't hold it against you to be a Mavericks fan. I get it. We're, do, we're doing pretty good this year. We will we'll be doing pretty good this year. Last year wasn't too bad. So no, you guys got some good players. Mm-hmm. So, all right, getting back to the uh, podcast, everybody's probably going to be like, what are they talking about if they come in a little exactly. late? <laughs> all right. So I know you mentioned you're a holding company, 68 Ventures. If I remember right, I think you guys have 17 different companies. Correct. So you talk a little bit about how finance serves across the business. Like, how do you support these different companies? What's the model? Right. So just, I guess just to give a over explanation of our business. So we're a holding mm-hmm. company for numerous operating development companies all along the coast. We're mostly focused in construction, real estate, and real estate development businesses. But, yep. you know, our vision is to transform the Gulf Coast. And, you know, we do that by partnering with purpose-driven leadership, and providing them with necessary resources to go out and cultivate an impactful company and then realize their full potential. And what we do at the parent level is provide those resources to where they can excel. And we do that through marketing resources, through technology, through offering financial and accounting resources, especially you know lower startup companies, as well as marketing and just kind of overall leadership and business strategy. So that's how we play a role in space. And you know, originally our model was we were founded upon a vertically integrated foundation. So it all kind of started at the 68B parent level where, you know, we're real estate focused. We're going out and purchasing land. And then we have a, another entity that, you know, develops that land. And then one of our other operating companies is, and our largest one is a residential home builder. So our development company would develop the land, sell those lots to our home builder. And then we also have other real estate related businesses that have the opportunity to capture business from there once that home is sold. So like real estate brokerage, our title company, our pest control company, our landscape company, insurance, et cetera. So that's kind of how the model started. And that's where we are today, but we're kind of shifting to more of an entrepreneurial platform. You know, we're still going to be focused in, you know, real estate and construction, 
but we kind of want to explore adding different industries under different verticals within our portfolio. So that's kind of the overall of our business. But I guess to explain where finance plays a role is, I mean, we're kind of, you know, our finance department at our, the parent level is kind of in every single you know, step of the way across our portfolio. I mean, we're here as a resource to the other accounting and finance teams across our portfolio and our operating companies, you know, to help with just basic level accounting and helping, you know, with software implementation, picking out the best accounting source that company, you know, needs to use in their industry, as well as, you know, we help establish the processes and the financial reporting to where our companies are tracking their budgets on a monthly, quarterly, annual basis. And they're reporting that back to us at the parent level to where we consolidate those reports into, you know, summarized views to give back to our, you know, C-suite executives here and the decision makers to see how, you know, the totality of our portfolio is performing. That, that makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like you're really buying these companies and helping make sure they're running as efficient as possible. You know, on your end, it's the finance, it's the bookkeeping, mm-hmm. you know, being a resource for them. That all makes sense. One other question I have is obviously a lot of your companies are real estate. I know there's some others that are outside of that. But how do you, you know, how does FPNA kind of work in the real estate industry? How do you look at opportunities? How far out do you forecast? Maybe just talk a little bit about that. Because I know from what I've yeah. heard and talked to people, it's a little different than what you traditionally see. Yeah, I guess you could say that. I mean, it, again, it still is certain, <laughs> certainly like the other industries. But I mean, I would say probably the number one you know, differential factor, the one we kind of put more emphasis on is the due diligence process. And that goes for our development entities as well as our operating companies. But more specifically for the development companies, because if we're going out to purchase land, you know, we tie up you know, certain lenders and our investors to go out and purchase property. But we want to make sure you know, we're getting that land at the value that we need in order to sell those lots at a profit to pay back our lenders, pay back our investors. And also, I mean, really, it's at the due, due diligence level, which is you know, highly critical in our industry, as well as you know, the way finance is also playing a part is you know tracking throughout the schedule of that project. So once that development starts, you know we're making sure you know we formed the budget beforehand, but we're making sure we're hitting those timelines and those different phases and the goals within those phases, and just making sure that if we have certain type of construction delays, you know we're being proactive and we're seeing those in real time, and we're able to adjust and combat any issues that are occurring. So I'd say the biggest thing is just in our due diligence process, and then two is just being proactive and make sure we're performing at the level that we said we're going to perform, just making sure nothing's kind of getting out of whack or going a different way. Because if so, I mean, that takes a lot into, it could be really costly just due to an interest carry we're carrying on a loan. I mean, that could really skew up the margins when the project is finally finished. That that, uh, is understandable. I can see what you're talking about there. And it sounds like if I heard you, you know, two things, there's the due diligence process, which is a little different. And then the second is really around the milestones. So it's almost a little bit monitoring the operational in addition to the financial, mm-hmm. the, the role, you know, and you definitely see different businesses where, you know, they lean more or less on how much finance gets involved in operational. But if I was hearing that right, it feels like you definitely get pretty heavily involved, at least from a milestone and project tracking and those type of things, some of the operational parts of the business. Right. Because, I mean, these projects go on for, you know, it could take Mm -hmm. two years to, you know, when you fully purchase raw land, 
and then to when there's a house built on top of that property. So it takes quite a while. I mean, and as we've seen just throughout the last year, I mean, how like one thing can just change the entire market where, you know, we're just seeing through the, the pandemic where, you know, supply chain shortages occurred. I mean, material prices are rising and just, you know, how quickly that happens. And that can really affect a project that's, you know, two years in length to completion. I could see where, yeah, the littlest things can have a big impact when you have a very long lead time to recover your investment. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking Correct. kind of investment shifting a little bit and recovering that, obviously something you have to track is your KPIs. You know, what are those key indicators? Mm-hmm. So you have a number of different companies. You have seven different companies. You have all these entities. I mean, I know there's a vertical integration, but how do you, you know, at that corporate level, what are you looking at regularly and how do you decide? What KPIs are most important with that many different businesses? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there is, there's a process that we have at the parent company level across our accounting and finance team where we're measuring you know, our monthly performance across every single portfolio organization. So we have you know, processes in place where we send out, okay, here's your performance report that you have to report to you know, each month. So originally at the beginning of the year, we have a budget locked in, right? And then each month after, let's say, you know, the 10th business day, we expect a delivery back to us to see how our company performed. Was it in line with budget, within budget or not? So that's something we're constantly tracking, just our monthly performance and, you know, how we can get that back to the parent company level as quickly as possible. And, you know, it takes time. Every company is different. It may take a little bit longer for them to close out the books each month. But, you know, we try to get that in a timely manner so we can consolidate that information and give that back to our, you know, stakeholders to see. Here's how our portfolio is doing on a monthly basis. You know, here we are in line with budget. Here's where we are year to date. And then where are we going for the rest of the year? So that's something, you know, we're always looking at. That's kind of the, you know, the financial KPIs that we hold, you know, across every single company. Then when you kind of get drilled down to the companies across the various industries, you kind of see there's different KPIs that we need to track. There's one KPI we're tracking at, you know, our construction company that we're probably not tracking at our insurance company. So we have a whole different list of KPIs you know, we track that are industry specific. And one, for example, so we just look at our home builder. You know, we're wanting to track our cycle time. So how long it takes from you know, when we start, when we purchase that lot, from that time to closing of that home, so that's sold. So this is one way we track just because we want to make sure our home builder is you know, we're building houses in a timely manner so, so we can deliver you know, the proper expectations to our customer who's purchasing that home. Well, as it measures too, are we improving better operationally? You know, the faster you build a home, the more we can get to, the more we can sell, and in hopes of increasing your top line if demands there. And then another one too at the home builder level, which is a good indicator of just how much demand is out there in the market, is our average sales price. So, and that's definitely one that we're going to keep tracking, kind of as time goes on. And there's a lot of things in the market that's up in the air with you know higher interest rates, stuff like that. We've been blessed with you know the last what one to two years of just super high demand from the consumers, but now with higher interest rates and mm-hmm. you know you're starting to see maybe a decline. So we'll start to see, you know, if our sales price is dropping, what the market demand really is. That- so and there's there's a whole other bunch of KPIs. I have a whole list of them here, you know, that we track at our global scoreboard meetings for our uh C-suite executives. But you know, I can imagine it gets on. pretty complex and it's, you know, it's a challenge when you have 17 different companies of how you boil that down and focus on the key things. So I get that. And you know, I can also see mm-hmm. where some real challenges with interest rates going up, some headwinds, 
you know, monitoring that closely and seeing how does that impact us? Because, right, for so many years here, interest rates have been rock bottom and that makes it much easier to buy a house. Right. Yeah. You know, there's not. Yeah. Exactly. It's a lot, lot nicer <laughs> when, you know, I only have to pay this much in interest over 30 years versus how much? So. Yeah. A much easier sale. And that's why we're tracking that KPI so heavily across our home builder. But, you know, there's various other KPIs we track across, you know, some of our different companies, especially some of our startup companies that, you know, have been in startup mode for, you know, maybe just the last year. I mean, obviously, we're always tracking cash, especially the ones that just start up. I mean, they may be burning cash on a monthly basis. We need to make sure we have a high enough cash balance to cover that burn. If not, you know, we're having to run a model out to see how much do we need to inject into that company. Yeah, cash burn. I can imagine that's a big one as well in a portfolio company. So mm -hmm. my understanding is you guys do quarterly reviews with your different businesses. Imagine with 17 businesses, that's a challenging process. So can you talk a little bit about that? How does it work? You know, kind of how right. successful is it? Just walk a little bit through that process. Yeah, it's definitely a fun process and it definitely takes some, uh, some days, you know, when you have 17 different companies coming to, uh, discuss, you know, how they, how they perform for the quarter. It's definitely makes for some long days, but it's a very rewarding process. But kind of how I've explained earlier, we have monthly deliverables <laughs> where we're reporting each month, you know, how our company is doing financially along with an executive summary that kind of gives us some more context to the business. You know, what really is happening in operations? You know, do we hire more people? You know, what are the challenges that you see the next month, you know, et cetera. So it kind of just gives more context to the numbers. And this is what really happens in our business plan reviews. This is kind of the intent behind it is kind of a more from contextual basis. What's going on? You know, are the business unit leaders at these companies come to, you know, 68 ventures with a presentation of just how we ended with the quarter and what are we forecasting for the next 90 days? But it really isn't so much about the numbers. I mean, because we've seen those numbers each month. Sure. We know where they at at financially, but it's more to kind of come into discussion about what's going on in the business, you know, what are the challenges that you're starting to see and where are we going to end up, you know, remaining of the year, but also are we in line with the business strategy? I mean, each year we're setting out business plans where we have operational goals to set we, and even projecting three years out to where we want to be and are we doing those proper steps in order to get there? And if there's any, you know, headaches, that are arising and challenges, you know, that's the time for them to discuss with us as business partners, you know, how can we better combat these issues? So it's really, it's a dialogue. It's nothing too crazy, but it's also making sure, you know, from our standpoint, our mission is to, you know, help these companies realize their full potential. So it's us being good business partners and holding them accountable to the business plan. I really like what you said there at the end is it's us being good business partners and holding them responsible to the business plan because that's mm -hmm. you know, a key part of finance. And sometimes that can be a real challenge because you want to be a good partner. You want to you know work with the business. But when things aren't going well, sometimes you have to challenge the business and you know, there has to be some push to help them get where right. they need to get. Mm -hmm. So you know, any experience there, any advice you'd offer when you're in those situations that are challenging? You know, where you really have to push, push on the business for whatever reason, anything you found to kind of help in, in managing that from kind of that business partner and relationship standpoint. Yeah. I think what's really awesome and advantageous from our perspective at the parent level, I mean, we're overseeing so many different companies and yeah, they're all different and maybe an industry and how they perform every day, but a lot of them are facing the same challenges 
across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be in you know labor issues, material price increases, <laughs> um, you know, you name it. Um, so it's it's been great to kind of be a part of those conversations, see where everybody's coming from, and be able to like offer advice that we've seen, or maybe you should go you know use our other partner as a resource, and you know he's he's combated this issue this way. Have you thought about this? And also at our level too, we've been blessed with some great people around here who have a lot of experience across a wide amount of industries. So I think that's what's really helpful, us just being involved in so many different aspects of business to where we can kind of give better feedback and dialogue if you know one of our partners is having an issue or having a challenge. Okay, like let's we can talk through it. This is how you know this other person combated this problem. Got it. That makes sense. And that's great that you have good resources there to assist and help with that. So appreciate the mm-hmm. answer there. So next question here, I know you guys recently automated your reporting process. And I've heard that you selected data rails for that. You know, obviously they're our sponsor for this podcast. What were some of the manual processes you had before you adopted a solution? And what ultimately made you guys, you know, adopt a solution and move toward more automation? What was kind of that driving point that made you go ahead and put a tool in place? Right. Yeah. You just mentioning manual processes, you know, in the past, you're giving me, you know, some flashbacks and nightmares, but no, I mean, that's a good, that's a good point. And it's a great question because, you know, I'm sure a lot of businesses are still undergoing a lot of manual reporting back to, you know, their business leaders, their managers, or their holding companies, whoever, but kind of how I explained earlier, you know, we have certain deliverables for each operating company to report back to us, you know, how they're performing financially. And beforehand, I guess just to explain that was all a manual process. You know, we set up these Excel templates with a profit and loss income statement view and just plain up in Excel where, you know, you have columns with months at the top and then at the rows, you're kind of budgeted figures and then we're tracking actuals to that. So each month, that was an expectation to where, you know, the finance and accounting department would probably literally have to pull up their P&L and their certain accounting system, look at all of it. And then manually type each line item by line item, you know, how they perform. And again, again, that would just take forever. It take that's an expectation, you know, once a month. And then then you add on quarterly business plan reviews, you know, the budgeting process. So in totality, that takes up a lot of time when really, you know, that's the area for automation. So we've been we were able to, you know, purchase a you know financial planning and analysis software, data rails, and automate that financial process to where we have so many companies on all different types of accounting systems, but this software allowed us to basically integrate all into one database to where we can, you know, have that be the source of our financial or our monthly performance reports come out of there, being able to, it links to Excel, you know, instead of having to type each month, you just press a refresh button and there's, there's your monthly figures, there's your performance. And this is great too, because, you know, it's been able to, Increase our monthly reporting times by 15%, which is huge. Just getting, having, you know, getting the information back to us faster to know, okay, we don't have to wait 20 days out to see how we performed in the prior month, as well as it's ensured complete data accuracy too. I mean, beforehand, when you're manually keying in, if you, you know, wait a month and you go change an invoice date or you've just found this invoice or this bill and, you know, your mailbox or so and you're finally typing in it was for last month. I mean, that's not going to update. And your manually updated Excel, you know, workbook. So it's been able to, you know, save faster times across all of our teams and ensure you know, that we're looking at the latest and greatest 
information. And that's getting back to us and also the other business unit leaders across the organizations where they can see where they really stand and make decisions from there. If I was to sum up what you said, it really came down to the manual process was just not maintainable. You, you had chan- higher chance of error, took a lot of extra time. It's not fulfilling. Nobody wants to copy and paste. So being able to have a tool that automated that process just got you out of what I like to call Excel hell. Right, exactly. And I mean, the big objective for us was, you know, how can we get our teams to no longer just be, you know, performing data entry each month and when performing these, you know, reports, but really, you know, how can we spend more time looking at our data and performing analysis rather than just manually typing it in? So that's been huge across all of our teams and they really appreciate the work and the more time they have to really look at and analyze how their business is performing. That is huge, right? The more time you can spend analyzing than preparing data. Exactly. Everybody wins in that situation. The employee, the managers, you know, leadership, because you get more value for what you're paying for. Nobody wants to spend all day doing manual processes. It's just, it's not fun. No. That is great that you've got real value out of that. So how are you using it? Are you using it, you know, for financial and non-financial reporting? Or maybe talk a little bit about, you know, what kind of reporting and beyond just the P&L and the different companies, are there other things you're doing with DataRails? Right. So we're, we're mainly using it for the financial reporting process. Mm-hmm. But what's so amazing about this software, it's always evolving. We can, we're also very early stages into it. We just implemented this about a year ago. You know, it takes some time kind of getting comfortable Got it. transitioning people from the old way to utilizing this new software. You know, it, some people get kind of accustomed to doing how they were before. So it takes a little bit of time to you know, implement across the team and get it all set up, make sure it's all accurate. But it's been, you know, ever since we implemented, it's been you know, great. But again, we're mostly using it for our financial reporting processes. But sure, what's been a really big value add is all like the data visualizations capabilities that a platform like this has to where our business unit leaders across our companies and even here, our C-suite executives can look at this information you know, in real time, accurately, in a very quick, easy, summarized view through a data visualization. This is also what's been really awesome. I mean, especially what I've learned throughout businesses, there's a lot of presidents and business unit leaders out there that they're not always diving into their financials. You know, They're thinking more high-level, strategically. They may not even know how to look at a you know, P&L and really see what's going on. But what we've been able to do is put these quick executive dashboards together for each team to where you know, they're being able to get emailed every day, a, a quick report, or they're going into their login through the software and seeing, you know, where they stand for that day, you know, where they're forecasted to be end of the year. And if there's any gaps, they need, they need to um, you know, strategically think through. It's there right, right in front of them. Executive dashboards and having that ability to quickly get that snapshot is huge. So I can see it's obviously provided a lot of value for you. I know it's still early and a lot of you know a lot of work to do, especially when you're implementing it across 17 different companies with different accounting right. systems and all those things. That's that that's a long time to get that all worked out. So I can see you know that you're still going through that process and finding ways to continue to improve the value you receive right. from the tools. And so that makes it's, sense. And to it's me. ever growing. You know that's what's awesome. There's always the software is always updating to where you know there's new tools and new applications there that you know will better help us and suit our needs and. I guess from a timely investment, I mean, it's totally worth it where, 
you know, it takes time setting up that process. But then once you get there, I mean, it's a click of a button and your data is flowing right to you and you can see where you stand. So it's kind of like we talked about earlier, the importance of that due diligence process, you know, setting things up correctly first, then you kind of finally see the fruits of your labor after it's all said and done. I love what you said there about setting things up first, because any digital transformation, any software program that you're putting in, you want to make sure you understand the strategy, you manage that change management. But the third one, and I think is often forgotten, is you got to make sure your house is in order, so to speak, like the data, right. and then it's all going to come together. So you don't want, last thing you want is to get done and then have no value from your tool, you know, right? Nobody right. ever and wants that. And that was our biggest issue. I mean, we're you know, a company with numerous companies below us. We have, you know, 17 operating companies, but we also are involved in, you know, the development process where we have maybe 30 active developments going on at once with all different books. And we need to see where they're at, what their cash needs are, how they're performing. This tool has really allowed us to kind of see the big picture. And that was, you know, I remember the first question when I came to 68 Ventures, are you familiar with business intelligence? You know, and I mean, that was kind of our problem. Just we have so much data out there, but we just need to make sense of it. We need to kind of clean our house and able to pull it accurately and then be able to make those insightful, you know, decisions from it. I think that's a challenge a lot of companies face, right? You gotta synthesize the data and like you said, be able to make intelligent insights, mm -hmm. just you know, critical. So speaking, you know, a little bit about this experience, sounds like it's gone really well for you guys. How do you think about ROI for an investment like this? Like, how are you determining, are we getting our money back? Was it worth, you know, the time we spent? How do you guys think about that? Right, right. Now, that's, that's something, we, you know, we, we've been asking ourselves all the time, it, you know, and we definitely see the benefits of all the, the costly investment and the time investment, too, to, you know, it's freeing up, you know, again, our time, you know, we're getting reports a lot faster from our operating companies. It's freeing up our personnel in the accounting departments and finance departments across all the operating companies, you know, it's more time to be analyzing that information, you know, providing better information back to their stakeholders. But I would say really the major ROI, how you really measure that is, you know, through time and how it's, you know, what it's giving you. I think it's hard to really quantify that in number, but I think just from the time investment, I mean, it's a capital investment. You have to purchase the software, but if you look at it, you know, you're freeing out people's time. Maybe they're maxed to capacity at 100% of their time by just doing bookkeeping and manually typing and reporting. But you can free up their time by 50%. And that's huge. And maybe beforehand, if you stuck to those manual processes, maybe you would have to hire on another team member to keep up with all the information that's going on, especially as your business grows. But what's, what's been awesome is just levering the software to free up more people's time. And, you know, we've been seeing the uh, massive ROI on our investment. It's been great so far. And we're looking forward to, you know, the, the more information it provides us. That makes a lot of sense. Great to hear. The ROI, as you mentioned, is all that time saved, right? You got people like, maybe I'd have to hire another person. It's hard to mm -hmm. exactly quantify. I get it. And as finance people, we always want to put a dollar on it. And we try our best to, but sometimes you got to look at it holistically and it becomes obvious right. that it's paid for itself. And that can be a challenge, especially mm -hmm. us number nerds, as I like to say. Right. Especially I'll at least if call myself one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're, you know, doing manual processes now and you're trying to sell, you know, your managers, hey, we should look into this tool, you know, but it, it's a huge time saver and it'll pay you back, you know, major dividends. Well, everybody loves a good time saver. So thank, thank you for sharing a little bit about that. We're going to switch gears here a little bit. I know we've been talking for a while now and 
And we have a few more questions here for you. This next one, this is one we like to ask everybody. You know, as you look at FP&A, I know you've been working you know, as a business analyst and supporting finance, a little bit of operations, but what do you see as the biggest challenge in FP&A today? Just, you know, you could speak to that in your company, you could speak to that, you know, more broadly. And then the second part of that is what do you see as the biggest opportunity? What's out there in both of those, challenge and opportunity? Yeah, I would say my the biggest challenge that I face comes to, you know, in FP&A and financial modeling is, you know, maybe I'm just too OCD, but I want to be 100% accurate when I'm, you know, modeling out a certain scenario. But that is clearly not the case and clearly impossible. But that's one of my biggest challenges. I'm always want to know, like, the exact information I need to make my proper assumptions, you know, to see, you know, if we're going to acquire a company or we're going to expand to this geography and this business, you know, what it would really look like, you know, a year, two, three years out. But um, it's impossible to be 100% accurate in some of your assumptions. But that's one thing, you know, the president of our company has been really advising me is you don't have to be 100% accurate, you know, really, as long as you're directionally correct. So that's probably the biggest advice. That's one of the greatest pieces of advice I've had so far in this role is when it comes to financial modeling, you know, it's okay not to have all the information at first, you can still come to make assumptions. And then as long as you're directionally correct in your conclusion, and you can kind of see, you know, the RI on a certain investment or whatever you're modeling out. But I think for me, that's my biggest challenge. I'm curious, you know, your thoughts on that too. Great question. So first talking to the challenge, you know, as I like to say, if I could forecast perfectly, I'd be sitting on the beach somewhere as a millionaire. (laughs) I wouldn't be working in finance, right? We're not soothsayers. We don't have a crystal ball. It really is about assumptions and grounding our assumptions in reality and validating them. And as you said, being directionally correct. Right. I made that point the other day. It feels great. We all love it when you're like, Oh, I was spot on mm-hmm. on this estimate. But the reality is that's not really what's expected for us. Right. The, the idea of the project is to give us enough comfort that we're going to get a return, that we've reduced right. risk, that we can make intelligent decisions based on the data. And as your boss said, which was great by advice, be directionally mm-hmm. correct. So for me, I think the biggest challenge, I would probably say there's two. One is the amount of data we deal mm-hmm. with in the world today. I mean, I was on a webinar this last week and I did some research. And you know, in 2022 alone, we'll create 94 zettabytes of data. That's 94 with 21 zeros mm-hmm. after it. Every two years, the amount of data we have is doubling in the world. Think of how long the world's been around. Now, now we're doubling it every two years. So I think dealing with data and being able to boil it down and find insights is a real challenge. I think it's a huge opportunity as well. And then the other is really continuing to ensure that we're focused on being business partners and value creators. It's easy to get caught in the spreadsheet right. and the numbers and all the financial work. And that's important. And there's nothing wrong with spending time on that. But if we're not taking that and giving the insights and providing the value, we're missing out on that huge opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a challenge sometimes in finance to really get that seat at the table and make sure the business sees us as a value creator, that they trust us, that we're the trusted business partner, not just the ones they have to go do to get something approved or to get a report. Right. No, Exactly. I mean, like you, you said, there is a lot of data out there. And sometimes, you know, my issue sometimes there's so much information and I want to be able to quantify it all and my <laughs> assumptions. But right, I think it's, you know, kind of getting to that point, you're kind of differentiating between, you know, finance people or kind of in the daily details, kind of in the weeds. 
But, you know, to add value, we need to be able to kind of think more higher level, I guess. You know, what, mm-hmm. what are we trying to accomplish with this question that we're asking in this certain model? But no, that was a great point. Yeah, it's, we got to be more strategic and think big picture, not just in the weeds. And I, that was very hard for me in my career. It held me back for quite a while because I'm, I'm good analytically. I'm very detailed. Mm-hmm. I love working with numbers. And I had to remind myself, okay, my boss doesn't want all the details. He wants yeah. me to get to the point. And I had a few times with that to tell me, like, just get to the point, Paul. What are you talking about? So yeah, yeah. I, I had to learn that one the hard way. Right. That's a big challenge. But yeah, like you said, that's, that's kind of where the opportunity is, kind of be mm-hmm. more, thinking more strategic, more high level. I think that all goes into, as well as knowing, you know, before you perform an analysis, you know, what's your objective? You know, what's your business question? What's the problem you're trying to solve? Yep. So really, it's kind of, again, like we talked about, setting up things perfectly at, or setting things up correctly at first. Yeah, there's a, like, you know, having a hypothesis, following an approach versus just playing with data to play with data, right? You, right. Want, you want a reason to it most of the time. Mm-hmm. You know what it is like, 13 different spreadsheets emailed out to 23 different budget holders, multiple iterations, version control, errors, back and forth updates, you never really feel in control of the consolidation and collection process. Yep, I've been there. Stop, breathe. DataRails is the financial planning and analysis platform for Excel users. DataRails takes data from all your company's disparate sources. No organization is too complex, consolidating everything into one place, secured in the cloud. Now all your data finally talking to each other. Everything is automated back into your report in Excel. Cash flow, FX conversion, intercompany transactions, now automated and up to date. Drill down and variance analysis in seconds. Don't replace Excel, embrace Excel. Turn your Excel into a lean, mean FPNA machine. Find out more at www.datarails.com. Next question I have for you here. This is one we like to ask everybody, and it's, can you describe a time you experienced a failure at work? And what did you learn from that, you know, that experience? It could be an analysis that went wrong or something you tried to implement that didn't go as planned. And just to give you a little background, the reason we like to ask this question is really... We look at it as as long as you learn from something, it's not really a failure. And so we're asking people kind of, you know, what did you learn from a time when things just didn't go as planned? Because we've all had it. I know I've had my fair share. Right. I mean, it's a good question. That's the way we learn is through, you know, trying something and failing and then, you know, learning over and over again. But I think, you know, a time that we experience failure, kind of, and this is a good point, just a kind of communication, communication on, you know, from the finance department to our stakeholders, to our teams, anybody else. I mean, it kind of has to do with implementing our, our software. I mean, people get so used to accustomed to a certain way. And if you don't, you know, communicate with them clearly, we're changing this process. We want, you know, do you start reporting it this way? I mean, a lot of things can get out of whack. The output, the report you're trying to generate, you know, may look completely different when you attend it. It may just <laughs> not be accurate. So, Maybe that's the time when we kind of rolled this out and maybe didn't explain perfectly or in more in better detail of, you know, this is the tool we're using. This is how it works. 
you know, we want you to report this way. So and it's, it's all learning experiences. But that's one thing I've learned just being in business the last few years is just communication. Everybody communicates differently. You need to know your audience. And it's a learning lesson every, every day with something like that. It definitely is. And it sounds like if I'm to summarize, as you rolled out the software, there were some challenges around communication. And there was a real lesson that reminded you the importance of just communicate, communicate, and communicate again. You can't really over-communicate. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I've been there as well, where sometimes a, a failure to communicate, or even if you think you communicated, a failure for them to recognize, you know, there's a misstep there can really result in some pain. So I agree. We learn that every day. Learning to be better at communicating is something that helps us in every aspect of our life, professional, personal, et cetera. Yeah. And then communicating like, you know, hey, we're rolling out this software. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of headaches up front. You having to learn maybe a new tool, but this is how much value it's going to add to you in the future. And I guess our problem was we just didn't communicate the value add in the beginning. Everyone recognizes it now, how much, you know, it's saving them time, you know, more accurate. Presidents of every single company is happier with the faster reporting times. But, you know, we could have done a better job explaining that up front. But, you know, it's all learning lessons. We got plenty of them here, you know, especially across so many different companies. Yeah, I, I have plenty of learning experiences myself. And yes, anytime you can clearly articulate the benefit, it will help make those processes easier. Mm-hmm. So that's a great point there. So now we're going to get a little more personal. This is kind of a fun section we have. This is a question we ask everybody. What is something unique about you that you could share with our audience? Like something we wouldn't find online, you know, something that just kind of makes you unique. Mm-hmm. So I've actually, you know, I said I grew up in Dallas, Texas mostly, but that's probably not the full truth. I've actually moved quite around a lot of the United States early in my life. I think I've lived in, you know, sometimes I lose count, you know, kind of like I lose count how many companies we have sometimes. But uh, I think I've lived <laughs> in about four different states and some of them, you know, three different times, you know, moving back and forth and some two different times. But I've lived in, you know, I was originally born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, you know, lived in Colorado, lived in Dallas, Texas, lived in Florida, and now I'm in Alabama. So I guess that's five states right there. So quite a move around a lot. You know, people always ask me if I'm a military family. No, just you know, my dad was actually in finance. Opportunities came, relocation. So there, and I guess another fun fact from there is, I actually went to three different high schools, but I actually finished at the high school that I started. And one of those other high schools was in a different state. So now you said fun fact. Was that really fun when you were in high school and had to switch that? Oh, uh, it was fun. I got, you know, made a lot of friends, you know, especially with social media today. My followers increased across all the social media apps. So that's been a, <laughs> you know, that's been a huge plus. But what's uh no, that that's a great attitude because i know a lot of times teenagers that's really hard to be moving a lot when you're in high right school. so what, what's something unique about yourself that you can share oh let's see a couple things i'll go with i once met jimmy carter okay i was on a flight coming back from london mm. and he got on the flight and he actually took the time we, we ended up taking off a little late because he went around and shook everybody's hand on the plane wow that's so, amazing that was kind of cool and the funny story to that, I'll add a little bit to that. The guy next to me, he's from the U.S., he's probably older than me, and he looks to me and he goes, who is that? <laughs> and I was just like, okay, I can understand if you're from another country, you know, I had no idea, but come on, you should know who, who Jimmy Carter was. He's a pretty recognizable face. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's Jimmy Carter. You can see the Secret Service there. <laughs> you can see that. Yeah. So Correct me if I'm wrong, but he was the, grew up on the peanut farm. Is that 
Correct. Yeah, gr- correct. Georgia, I believe. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's that's how I know Jimmy Carter. <laughs> yep. Nineteen seventy. I believe it was he seventy six to eighty. I think, and then it was Reagan. Right. Okay. What what year was this when you so. saw him? Oh, when was this? It was it had been two thousand eight when I graduated okay. from grad school. Date myself nice. a little bit. Yeah, that's so. not too long ago. <laughs> but that's yeah, awesome. yeah. No, it was really fun. It was a cool experience. All right. So this is another one of my favorite questions. As you can guess, I'm a big Excel nerd. You can see all the the books back there. Yeah. So we're going to ask you, what's your favorite Excel function or formula? It could mm-hmm. even be a feature, but what do you like best about Excel? Yeah, I love this question. It's funny. My answer is easily index match. It's probably the <laughs> you know, function I use all the time and daily, but I love seeing the memes across you know, LinkedIn saying, are you more of a VLOOKUP or an index match kind of person? But you know, I... Used to be VLOOKUP, but once I went index match, you know, never never looked back. So that's been you know a great function. I'm and I love it. And then I guess another you know fun, just kind of more simple formula or function of Excel. I just love using the equals sign as in you know does this cell equals this cell in order from all my check references. So I mean that saves me you know a ton of time just setting those up you know early on in the front end and then. I recently discovered a little while ago Power Query function in Excel, and that's been a huge game, a game changer. So those are probably my top three kind of uses of Excel. I get that, the equals for the checks, the uh, index match, and the Power Query. Power Query was a game changer for me as well. Oh, it's, you know, it's great. I think it's funny because everybody when you ask function, they say index match, like they, they have to be used together. Right, even though they're mm-hmm. two separate formulas, and you can use VLOOKUP match, and you can actually use XLOOKUP match. I just right. think it's interesting how we've associated the two. Like, you know, it's almost like they're kind of married in a sense, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think- I've had a few errors where I forgot the match part. I'm like, wait, why didn't it give me what I wanted? You know, <laughs> so I, I've, I've definitely married the two. <laughs> oh, I've, I've had my share of uh, mistakes when it comes to that formula and trying to figure out why it's not working. That right. and a whole host of formulas, but you know, mm-hmm. that's pretty common. So last question here, we're at near the end of our time. So if somebody was starting their career today and they wanted to work at, say, FTNA, what advice would you offer to them? I think my my best advice, you know, to someone who's wanting to get into FPNA or who is currently working in it and wants to advance their skills is you know, just be open open to learning. I mean you know, what I've learned so far is, you know, business is so complex and there's something I'm learning every single day. And I'm blessed to be, you know, at a parent organization where I can see, you know, across various different businesses, various different organizations and industries. I mean, and there's a lot going on. I'm not, I'm not an expert in one industry at all, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a student of business. And uh, I think that's what kind of the mindset you have to have is always being a constant learner. Because when you're, you know, diving into a company, you know, to perform a model, you're really learning you know, you need to learn that business right there. And it's challenging. I mean, but, you know, that's what's so rewarding. I mean, kind of embracing that challenge and getting through it. And that's kind of your reward right there. But just being a constant learner is my adverse. Be eager and just you know, embrace the challenge as well as, you know, if you're wanting to, get in, wanting to generate better, you know, financial modeling skills is start to dive into, you know, Excel a little bit. I mean, I had no, you know, Excel or financial modeling experience uh, before going into my, you know, my master's courses and really came out with little to none either, but <laughs> I've, you know, used my outside resources and really the best, the best way I learned is just having a problem and then working through it. I mean, I remember one time I asked a professor and during my uh, graduate career 
you know, how can I be a better Excel? He's like, well, you really need a problem. You, know, you can't really just open an Excel document and just start, you know, here's the sum function, here's this, but you need to have a problem that you're trying to solve. So it's definitely a learn by doing, but uh, that's the rewarding part. It is definitely one of those things you learn by doing and well said about being a lifelong learner. Serves you well in every aspect of life. And it's a great, great advice for anyone at any stage of their career, not just beginning. So really appreciate that. Just one last question here. If somebody wants to follow you or reach out to you, there's any way they can contact you, you know, find you on LinkedIn or anything you'd like to share as far as that, that goes. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I think I want to say, you know, linkedin.com slash Joseph Clayton, as well as, you know, my email is jclayton at 68ventures.com. Any hate mail is, you know, gone out through our cybersecurity system. So please say only nice things if you're emailing me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it will all be good things. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. And just a reminder to the audience that, you know, if you want to earn CPE credit, your continuing education credit for this course, you can go to Earmark. And you'll be able to answer a couple simple questions and get credit for listening to this podcast. And then the final reminder, if you enjoy FPNA today, we'd love for you to leave a review on whatever platform you use, Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you're listening to it. And then last and most importantly, Joseph, thank you again for being on the show. We've really enjoyed having you. I've enjoyed the conversation as I'm sure our audience has. So thanks again. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Absolutely. I've been a big fan of this podcast. So thanks for all the work you're doing. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Nice of you to say that.